Scripture reading will come from John 17, 1 through 3. In your pew Bibles, it's 958. Once again, page 958. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, that, Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son, and the Son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you and the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning and to be together to worship God. If you're a guest this morning, we welcome you. It is good to have you, and we hope that you're encouraged by being here, and it definitely encourages us that you're here. Uh, We are coming off of a wonderful week of camp. A lot of good was done, and then on Friday evening, two of our young men, Benjamin and Samuel McGreevy, were baptized into Christ here at the building, and we rejoice with them and with the McGreevy family and the heavenly host. And then to think about, we are very, very close to our missionaries going to Brazil. Actually, uh, all the paperwork is being cleared. They have received their visa. And uh, within two weeks, uh, less than two weeks, they will be traveling. And that's a lot of plans that have been made and a lot of prayers that have been answered. Uh, Now for several years, this has been in the works. This is our first missionaries that we as a congregation are sponsoring and sending out. And so it's, it's something that's very uh, important to us. And, and we've been very careful and very diligent to do the best uh, that we can as a congregation to support them. And we're so thankful for Nick and Amy. And we're thankful for the many, many years of preparation that they have put into this. Of course, Amy grew up in this congregation. And so that makes it even a little more special. And so our hopes and our plans and our expectations is next Sunday evening, we want to concentrate that evening on sending them out and that next week they'll leave. So be prayerful, uh, be thinking and planning about next Sunday evening and then of course about their departure and uh, we will have a fellowship gathering after the evening uh, services next Sunday night and that'll be a fellowship meal and it'll be finger foods and so Plan on bringing finger foods. Chips and drinks will be provided, but as as you're thinking about planning on that this week, do make the plans to be a part of that Sunday evening also. It is exciting to think that all the good that God has planned around the world in His kingdom, and to think, what does God have planned in Brazil, and what are Nick and Amy and their team going to be a part of, and we look forward to seeing how God unfolds all of this and what our place in that will be. Although golf is not usually considered an easy sport, it's rarely described as an extreme sport. But Legends Golf and Safari Resort in South Africa actually does have one hole that is extreme golfing. You see, it's a premier course of 18 holes, and 18 of the elite golf Uh, designers took place in designing these 18 holes. But then there's the 19th hole. The 19th hole, the only way that they reach the tees is actually taking a helicopter ride. And they ride up 1,400 feet on the edge of a lip of a mountain. And there 
They look what straight out in front of them would be 680 yards, but it's down 1,400 feet, about a quarter of a mile. It's a par three. And actually several golfers do make it, shoot it in par three. But anybody that can be the first to get a hole in one will be considered the only extreme golfer in the world. A prize will be given of a million dollars. And so far, no one has been able to do that. It's interesting to think, what makes that so difficult? It's only 680 yards out. Well, most would agree it's the distance. When golfers are interviewed that have shot this particular hole, they almost always say the same thing. What surprised me was how long it took the ball to hit the ground. Most of the time, the shot takes 26 seconds to hit the ground. Why? It's so far away. You know, some people don't pray. If you ask them why, they'll end up telling you they believe that God is so far away. It'd be like an extreme sport. I mean, really. Who could really have a close relationship with God? That's only for those few unique Christians that that they're extremists. Some way they're able to connect. But let's face it, the rest of us, we're just not cut out for it. The rest of us, we could never be that close to God. Or others when they consider their life and, and they're involved perhaps in sin and And they they kind of shrug their shoulders because they believe that God is so far removed from them, it doesn't really matter anymore. Or there are others, and they're hurting, and they need comfort. And and there's a God of all comfort who could comfort us in all of our tribulation. They read that in the Scriptures, but in their mind, that God is too far away. I mean, really, He couldn't comfort me with where I am today. Or guidance. Could God guide you? Or is He too far away? You know, from last week's study, our plea, our plea this month is not only to get to know God from from an intellectual standpoint, but to get to know God so that we can draw close to God, so that God has, has a huge bearing in our life. The people that you're close to or people that you know and the people you trust or the people that you're close to and the people that you know that they are trustworthy. I suggest to you that if you haven't already reached that point in your life, that if you'll study this month together and if you'll go home and study more on the particular topics that we're studying, you're going to see that you can know God and you're going to see that He's worthy of your relationship and He's worthy of your trust. And hopefully when this month is over, every one of us can say, I'm closer to God than what I was at the beginning of this month. I trust God more. What if everybody in this room was able to say, I trust God so much, I lay my life down at His feet. I trust what His will is. I trust where He would lead me. I trust where He would tell me not to go. I trust where He would tell me to go. I trust God. You will not be able to say that if you don't know God, if you don't truly know the Almighty God. The text that's been capably read for us there in John, the 17th chapter, this is the prayer that Jesus prayed. It's the longest prayer that we have recorded 
by Jesus in the scriptures. Now, obviously, he probably prayed a lot of prayers a lot longer than this, but this is the longest that we have recorded. And it's in the beginning of this prayer that he addresses the Father and asks for glory to be given to him. And then he speaks in verse 2 of eternal life. And I'd like for you to notice again in verse 3, this is eternal life that they may know you. Pause there for a minute. Is it possible? Is God so far away that no one can know him? Jesus says no. Jesus says that's not true. Jesus is saying that God is so close, everybody could know him. His prayer is, notice, I'm not saying that as an expression of speech. This is literally Jesus' prayer. His prayer is that all of us would know him. Why? Because that's what eternal life is based on. Friends, do you realize if we don't know God, we can't be saved. And he goes ahead and he, he describes more what he has in mind in verse 3. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This morning, I'd like for us to consider who is this Jesus Christ? We want to know God and Jesus Christ. Who is this Jesus Christ that we should know that gives us eternal life because he was sent? And once we do know him, what difference does it make in our lives? Look with me, if you will, to Philippians, the second chapter. And I, and I encourage you to turn there because that's where we're going to spend the rest of the morning. Uh, we'll look at some other verses, but we'll keep coming back to Philippians 2. The Bible that's in the pew there. It'll be about 1,043 or maybe 1,042, the Bible that's in your pew. Look at Philippians, the second chapter. As we read these verses, just be thinking about what we can know about Jesus and then let's come back through and let's dissect some things out of these verses to see what we can know about him. Philippians 2, beginning at verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Pause there for just a moment. This is going to be the application this morning. When we come back to the end, we won't have much time to make this application. But just notice, everything that we want to know about Jesus Christ, there's something about him, about his mindset, that if we know it, it should become our mindset. In other words, I want to emphasize again, we don't just know Jesus because we want to be smart spiritually and intellectually. We want to know Jesus because it's supposed to change the way we think. It changes the way we live. It changes our heart, our heart's desire. And so he says in five, let this mind be in you. Well, what mind is that? The mind which is in Christ Jesus. Okay, so what's Christ Jesus like? Verse six, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. There we, we see about the the uh, deity of Jesus Christ there. Look in verse seven, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. Now we see the incarnation of Jesus and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. We see how obedience was tied to sacrifice. Verse nine, we see how he was exalted. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Really, really important question. This question is asked to me 
I guess more often than what I would expect when I'm sitting down and, and doing one-on-one -on -one Bible studies or, or sometime in Bible classes, but especially one-on-one. -on -one. And I'm sure that oftentimes it's asked in, in the whole sense of ignorance. And what I mean by that is I'm sure it's being asked not to try to bring Jesus down and, and not to try to blaspheme Jesus. But yet, nevertheless, it's asked and it is very, very important that we understand this. And this is the question that's oftentimes asked. Before Jesus was born, did He exist? Do you realize that your understanding of that is crucial if you're going to know a Savior that can save you? It's going to be hard for us to have a, a complete understanding of eternal life if we don't know Jesus as being eternal. And so I understand where the question comes from, and I always appreciate it when someone's honest enough to ask it because that's how we learn. And so it's, it's not a criticism against those that would ask, but it is something that I'm suggesting to you we need to give careful consideration so that we know who is Jesus. Did he exist before he came to the womb? Because there are individuals that claim Christianity that do not believe that, and, uh, and, and they are a part of cults. And it's a very dangerous religion and, and dangerous to our soul. And so what we're addressing is very, very important. In, in Philippians, the second chapter, look at verse 6. <clears throat> Again, as we consider the preexistence of Christ in verse 6. It says he was in the form of God and did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. The word form here, there's two Greek words that oftentimes describe form. One would just describe the, the outer. In other words, the way something is presented. You know, you could have a mirage that, that looks real. And so it would be in that form, but the reality is it's not really that. Or, or you know, all of us have probably seen a gourd painted like maybe like a picture or, or something. And then when you get closer, you realize, hey, that's not what it looks. It took on that form and appearance, but that's not really what it is. The Greek word here for morph is literally to take on that form as we would think of the very nature of. And so here, Jesus is not saying, I took on that form. Jesus is saying, that's who I am. Jesus is saying, notice, being in the form. Notice it didn't say one day he was created in this form. Remember, one of the key characteristics of the Godhead is, and this goes back to special last Sunday night's lesson, key characteristic of the Godhead is eternal. God is eternal. And so we can't talk about, well, when God was created, God was eternal. And so now we're, we're trying to figure out, is Jesus a part of the Godhead? Is Jesus eternal? Or was Jesus created and placed in a womb? And so here we see Jesus introducing himself to say, listen, I've always been around. I am the form. I am the very nature. I am the essence of God. Now, that's going to tie in real important, that word form, because no doubt Paul did this intentionally. In the very next verse, in verse 7, he's going to talk about another form, and it's going to be the form of bondservant as he took on flesh. But let's get to that in just a moment. But the second thing that we need to consider here in verse 6 is where he said, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Have you ever seen someone that not only maybe were they arrogant that they claimed things and they liked to boast of themselves, but they would boast of themselves of things that simply were not true. 
Maybe you know someone who has boasted of graduating from a certain college or, and, and maybe they've not even been to that college at all. I remember working at a place one time where a, a man had on his resume a place that he graduated from and he'd only taken a few classes there. Uh, you know, you, you see individuals that do something like that and you say, wow, they were robbing credit. In other words, they wanted to be noted as someone and they were not that person themselves and so they robbed that. They stole credit for themselves. Question, when Jesus Christ claims to be God, is he robbing credit? Well, no. notice verse 6 again. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Whenever he says, I'm equal with God, he wasn't robbing anything. Why? Because he was the very form of God. He was the very nature of God. He was God. He is the essence of God. It's no robbery for him to say, I'm God. And so the idea that he was created and placed in a womb is foreign to Scripture. Instead, what God wants us to see in Scripture is that Jesus Christ has always been. But he changed the form in which he presented himself when he came to earth. So instead of just being the form of God, notice uh, in, in a few minutes when we go to seven, we're going to see they took on the form of man. But I'd like for you to notice, uh, look at John the eighth chapter, and you may want to hold your finger here. We're going to come right back here. But I'd like for you to just notice what Jesus said about his pre-existence. In John the eighth chapter, he was talking to uh, other Jews and Jews that did not believe that he was the son of God. And so back in verse 55, he's telling them, you don't really know the father. And of course, they're probably offended at the fact of that. And so he says in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Now, you can imagine how they, they must have been shaking their head like, what is this man? Because keep in mind, they don't think of him as God. What is this man saying? Abraham lived a few thousand years ago, and you're telling me he rejoiced to see your day? You're not making any sense, man from Galilee. And so in verse 57, the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And you have seen Abraham? You can imagine probably the laughter that was in their voice. You know, it would be like today, it would be, I was going to say like somebody saying today they've seen George Washington, but it'd go back a lot more years than that. It'd be going back uh, many, many more times that length of time. And, and notice what his answer is. In verse 58, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And he claims the name of God that God said to Moses when he told him to tell Pharaoh, I am sent you. And now he's saying, I am. And he says, in other words, he's pointing out the simple fact, I'm not just human. I'm God. Abraham, you think he lived a long time ago, and you're saying there's no human being alive today that Abraham would go back to Abraham's day. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Exactly. There is no human being. But you know what? God was alive then. And I am. I am God. I was alive then. Back up to John, the first chapter, we see what Jesus says about his pre-existence. He says he was back way before Abraham. And in John 1 and 1, we see Jesus being described by the word, word here. In the beginning was the word. Notice he wasn't created in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. And so, uh, and, and the word was with God and the word was God. So when? Well, he was already in the beginning. Where? With God. And who was he? 
He was God. So we hear what Jesus says. We hear what John says. Let's take just a moment and look and see what Paul says. Colossians, the second chapter. Colossians, the second chapter. And this gets in a little bit of the, the difficulty of, of understanding the Trinity of the Godhead. In Colossians, the second chapter in verse 9, we see also a beautiful teaching about Jesus, not just being a man, that he is God. And notice in Colossians 2 and 9. For in him, talking about in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. Notice how Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you're complete in him. How can you be complete in Jesus? Because all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in him. And, and I'm just going to throw out something that I don't really know how to explain. And you probably don't know anybody that can explain it except this. There's some aspects of, of the Trinity of the Godhead that we have to accept by faith. And there's some aspects of it we can understand clearly. But God the Father, God the Son, and, and God the Spirit, they don't, they don't third up the power. And, and one of them has 33% and another has 33% another has 33%. But what's amazing is even though they are one God, they all have the fullness of the Godhead power. And that's what he is presenting here in Colossians, the second chapter, to show the power of Jesus Christ. There are religions today that wear the name Christian that actually refer to Jesus with a little g. Because he's not the big God. He's not the creator. Or if he was the creator and involved in creation, first he was created by God and then involved in creation. And friends, these are blasphemies against Jesus. Jesus has all the fullness of the Godhead. Did he exist before he came through the womb? Absolutely. In fullness of power because he is God. And so when we talk about being baptized into Christ, we're not just talking about being immersed because a very good man from Galilee that was a great teacher said, this is something you want to do. We're doing it so that we can be immersed into the Godhead. The power of the Godhead is inviting us to be saved, inviting us to be adopted into their family. And what a beautiful and wonderful blessing it is. But now let's go back to Philippians 2 and let's look at verse 7 as we think about not just only the pre-existence, but let's think about the incarnation. We talked about he was in the form of God, but now notice he also, in verse 7, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So we see him coming with no reputation. When we look at 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, and, and last month, I really thought we'd, we would find in this schedule last month as we looked at stewardship to spend at least one week in, in 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter. What a rich chapter it is. It's where Paul tells those of Corinth why they should be generous in their giving. And he uses examples. And he says, for example, the people of Macedonia, they were in the very depths of poverty, but they asked to give and they gave generously. But then he uses another example. He uses an example of this, of this individual who was very, very rich. And he gave so much away that he became very, very poor so that those he gave to could become very, very rich. Now you know that story. You 
feel that story, right? You are a recipient in that story, right? I hope you can say right to that. Look to 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9 and and notice the, the beauty of this story. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Friends, who is this? Jesus. He's the one that incarnation means in flesh. God came and manifested himself in flesh. And and he left the riches of heaven to take on poverty so that we could become rich. Now, so someone says, so he stopped being God when he came to this earth. No, not at all. He did not cease the attributes of God. As a matter of fact, in John, the 14th chapter, Philip, the, the apostles are asking Jesus' question, John, the 14th chapter. Remember, it begins, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God. And, and so we come down and, and he, Philip says to him, just show us the Father and it suffices us. How many of us have that kind of heart? We're, we're not criticizing Philip, but at the same time, Jesus strongly corrects Philip. And, you know, how many of us would say, I want to be close to God. I want to be close to the Father. Just show us the Father. Now, here is a man who knew Jesus Christ very well. And so do you expect him to go over and put his arms around him and say, I'm so glad you want to know the Father. No, he rebukes him. Why? He says, I've been with you so long. And you say you don't know the Father. If you know me, Jesus says, you know the Father. Listen, when he left heaven to come to earth the poverty was not he gave up being God the poverty was that he gave up the glory that was associated with it he gave up the comfort that was associated with being an individual or a being that was not of flesh and not of this world but he did not cease being God now notice that second phrase in verse 7 where he says, taking on the form of a bond servant. Notice that, form. It's the very same word. He literally became a servant of mankind. And John, the 13th chapter, you remember, this is where he washed the feet. He got up in verse 4, and, and he took a towel, and he girded himself, and he was a servant that washed their feet. And what's interesting is that story is told with the preface of verse 3 where he says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from the supper and laid aside his garments. Pause there for a moment. Why that introduction? Because John is recording the words of Jesus here and Jesus didn't want anybody to forget who he was. I am God on earth. I know where I'm from. I came from heaven. I know where I'm going back to. I'm going back to heaven. And I want you to know who I am so that when I take on the form of a bondservant, nobody can say, I'm, I'm, I'm too important to serve other people. In other words, he's saying, if I'm God, and right now I have all the authority of the Godhead, and I wash feet, there's nobody that can say, I don't need to serve. You know, we talk a lot in this congregation about serving, finding your place and getting involved. It's a spiritual plea so that all of us can be what God wants us to be. 
It's not, it's not so we can say, well, isn't it great? We have 98% of our congregation involved. It's not so we can say, do you realize we have 50 ministries that do so much good? It's not. Friends, do you know Jesus Christ? Let's just sink in. Think about it. Do you know Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus? He's the one that looked his apostles in the eyes and said, I want to remind you, I am God and I'm about to wash your feet. And now don't you rise up and say you're too good one day to go out and wash other people's feet. And when he finished, as a matter of fact, he said, now you go and you do likewise. Friends, knowing God, knowing God makes us different people. And when we don't know God, the ignorance condemns us. The ignorance ceases us from being what we are designed to be. And then finally this morning, look at this third point out of verse 7. Notice it said in verse 7 that he's coming in the likeness of men. He truly took on flesh. You know, in Revelation 21 and verse 4, we have reasons to look forward to heaven. When, when we think about not being any tears in our eyes and we think about no sorrow and no crying and no, no more death, and we think about those things, we think that, that's just almost unbelievable. That's, that's hard to imagine. You realize God left, left a place like that to take on flesh, to come to earth. And as a man, when he stumped his toe, it hurt. Probably growing up in a carpenter's shop, when he mashed his thumb, it hurt. When he had viruses, they hurt. Why? Because he was flesh and blood. He took up on the form of of man, a bondservant to serve man. Why? Because we needed a Savior. We needed to see God close up. And God never came so near to man as when He took on flesh and was manifested through Jesus Christ. This morning, do you know Him? Tonight, we're going to come back and and we're going to look at just a little more of, of this passage and then try to add even just a little more depth and a little bit more meat to some of the things that we've covered in an effort to try to understand a little bit better the, the trinity of the Godhead. But tonight I urge you, this morning I urge you to think about your life and think about your soul and think about your relationship with God and, and especially this morning with Jesus Christ. Do you know the one that loved us so much? He says, I want you to have this mind in you. I want you to understand who He is. He's a form of God. I want you to understand who He is. He took upon Himself the form of man. Why? He loved us so much to become our Savior. Do you know Him as your Savior? And if not, don't leave here this morning without getting on that path to know Him as your Savior. We've all had people in our life that have been a good influence. Friends, there's nobody that can influence your life like Jesus. You'll never look back and regret allowing Him to take charge in your life. This morning, if you're a believer that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, 
and you're willing to repent of sins and confess that Jesus truly is the Son of God and, and be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. Or if you've done that and you want to come back to Him, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand.